Welcome to the pulpit ministry of Christ Community Church in South Florida, aiming to make, mature, and multiply disciples by preaching and teaching God's Word based on the sufficiency of Scripture. And now, let's join Pastor Bernie Diaz for the message. Our hearts are a little bit heavy today, as all of you are aware by now, the news of Israel, God's chosen nation and promised land being attacked uh, sad, uh, I believe Friday night it was. And um, so we'll pray for them in our call to respond and prayer time later in the service. But uh, as per Psalm 122, verse 6, we are to pray for the peace of Israel. So let's keep Israel in our prayers. As we know, they are so close to the heart of our God and our Lord. If only Jesus were just president of the world, it would make all this go away. Oh, wait a second. He is going to do that. We don't know exactly when, hopefully sooner than later, but he will take care of all of this and all these wrongs will be righted. And in fact, we might ask with everything going on in our world today, what has transpired here? If Jesus Christ was ever involved in politics, you ever wondered that before? The liberal social gospel movement would like to make him their own political figure. They say he has And the far right of even what some would call Christian nationalism or a new movement called kinism, they might desire the same thing. But in the narrow sense of the word, I should tell you, he clearly was not political. Jesus never formed a political party. He never adopted a political program. He never ran for office. He never organized a political protest. He took no steps to influence the policies of people like Caesar, Pontius Pilate, King Herod, and the Roman Empire. In fact, on the contrary, he renounced a political career when offered to him because many of his fans, as opposed to real followers, in Judea, on more than one occasion, told him, pronounce yourself king. Tell everyone you're the king. He said, now is not the time. So he didn't do that. But in the broader sense of the word, however, his whole ministry was political. He himself came into the world to establish a new order, a kingdom. And if you're establishing a kingdom, it's got to have a king. And he sent his followers into the world to proclaim and multiply this kingdom as Jesus came into the community of life around the world Asked his followers to do the same thing. And it was, that was a radical move. Because it had its own values and standards. And he challenged the old fallen community, what we call rabbinical Judaism at that time. And so in a way, his teaching had political implications. Absolutely. He was offering an alternative to the status quo. Right? He drew some circles, yes, to draw people in, but he drew a lot of lines too. He called on people to make a choice. He separated his true followers from the false ones, right? Followers from fans, sheep from the goats. He's going to do that. And he called on them. The way he did that is he said, really, you want to be my follower? Deny yourself. Die to yourself. Take up a cross and follow me. That was his call 
to Christian citizenship, in essence. That's what we're talking about today, because that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about in our text in a letter that's about joy. That's Philippians. Joy is the word, the concept found most often in this letter, and a large part of our joy comes from hope. Again, we'll remind you, what is Christian hope? Christian hope is the confident expectation of something that hasn't yet happened, something we know is going to happen, it's promised, we're waiting for it, and that is the return of Jesus Christ. And a big reason why we can suffer, suffer well, as we're going to learn today, is because we're not even of this world. In a large measure, we're not citizens of it. We are Christian citizens. As such, the better, more perfect world and life is not here. It's coming in the future when our king comes back. It's not here. Too many Christians are searching for what that best-selling author said, your best life now. Well, you're not going to find it now. You're not even meant to. God has a different goal for us. That's why the apostle, in different ways and words, has been teaching us in this letter how to live like a people who are from another world. Like people in a kingdom, and they're to live like their king did when he was first here, as we await for his return. Okay, Paul has taught us in this incredible third chapter of Philippians that if Christ is your greatest treasure, that's who you value the most, you're going to want to think and live like him. And so you realize that when you get into a relationship with Christ, it's not a religion as much as a relationship. Paul said earlier then, we should all be living lives worthy of the gospel. And then he goes into how we do that in this chapter. He uses a bunch of analogies that are really helpful, like running to win. We talked about that. We are to forget what lies behind, which is your old sin and self. And he exhorts us, he commands us to strain Run hard the race of the upward call of heaven and glory and Christ-likeness. Christ-likeness is the goal of every single Christian. And ultimate perfection in that goal is the prize. That's the prize of the goal. Last time, the way he talked about this, Paul talked about imitation. The question that came from the text of verses 17 to 19 is, who are you going to follow? Who do you follow? The way meaning Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, or you're going to follow the world. And that means destruction. That means eternal death. So he put it that way because there were false prophets in and around the church at Philippi, and they were either legalists in one extreme or there were liberals on the other extreme, and they had evil thoughts, and they were living evil lives. So Paul said, don't imitate them. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. So now the chapter closes with this appeal for us to live, here's the new analogy, Christian citizens. Live like people that belong to Jesus. That's how we can run the race. That's how we can look more like him, imitating his people that are trying to imitate him until he comes back to take us home. So to get home, check this out. To get to this home, you need a passport. Okay, That's how you travel and look forward to a trip, right? You have to get a passport. You can't enter a foreign land and a nation, wherever you're headed, if you leave here, without a passport. Because that identifies your citizenship, right? 
Well, guess what? You can't enter heaven without one either. And I don't mean the hard copy, okay? But you need a passport that's spiritual. And that keeps us going as we're on this journey of sojourners. We're pilgrims. Get used to that idea if you're not already. So what we're going to talk about today is that Paul in this text is giving us a passport and he's giving us a promise that goes with it. A passport and a promise. That's what we're diving into. Let's, let's get our passport, okay? Philippians 3.20. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior the Lord Jesus Christ. Now the text begins with a but. But. Why is the but there? Verse 19 tells us. We saw last time, Paul described these people professing Christians, teachers, preachers that were living the way of the world rather than the way and the truth, Christ. They weren't living lives worthy of the gospel. They were headed for destruction. So now Paul builds a contrast. So you're not that kind of citizen. You're Christian citizens. That's our citizenship. And you're expecting, you're looking for our leader, our king to come. Now, what does it mean to be a citizen? We've got to talk about that. Interesting Greek word that if you transliterate it, is the word politics in English. And literally that means business or government. The business of government. The administration of government. So, you say, well, you said Jesus was not a politician in the modern sense of the world word, but you're asking us to be citizens. But literally that word can also mean a place or a location in which one has the right to be a citizen, like a nation state. I was born in this country, as many of you. How many of you are naturalized citizens? Raise your hand. You were born in the United States of America. Not everyone, but many of you, okay? And as such, I, like you, we have privileges. We have rights as a citizen, like voting, okay? My legal natural citizenship is in the United States, and that's what my passport says when I travel. And I would say this. um, I am a patriotic American in the sense of the word that I have affections for this country, for its heritage, for its history. I know many of you too. I feel a sense of pride in America, and I defend its values and its ideals, at least what used to be its ideals and values. And I emphasize the phrase, used to be. Because the country, I believe... And I can prove, I think, was founded on Judeo-Christian values that were rooted in Scripture. Therefore, I respect the flag. And I've studied, as you know, the founding fathers a fair amount and all that history. And the, the 4th of July is meaningful to me, as is holidays, I'm sure, for you as well, Memorial Day, Veterans Day. But having said all of that, when I became a Christian by God's divine and sovereign grace over 30 years ago, I understood my passport changed. My greatest love and loyalty, my devotion, ultimate devotion, shifted. God shifted it from this nation to that kingdom. And it's King, Jesus Christ. My citizenship is in heaven. That's what Paul's literally saying. My politic, my citizenship, who I belong to, is in heaven. 
And we'll flesh that out. But the word for citizenship, it not only refers, again, to the world of politics and it's about government, but also speaks to being a colony of foreigners or relocated veterans. And you want to know something interesting? The immediate context of this letter and the church at Philippi speaks to this. It's no coincidence. Philippi was a colony of the Roman Empire. Geographically, the church was in Macedonia. It was not in Rome. But the Philippians there were brought up in a Roman culture. They spoke their language. They obeyed their laws and customs. And as Philippians, they remained Roman. So Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is choosing his words wisely here when he says to the Philippian church, in essence, just as the Roman colonists never forgot that they belonged to Rome, you must never forget that you are citizens of heaven. And your conduct has to match your citizenship. It's like we asked last time. Who do you follow? It's the same idea. In other words, now you can ask, well, who do you belong to? Okay? Same idea. Similarly, our physical home, okay, is on earth right now. Specifically, it's America. And then this greater community, we're in Pembroke Pines right now. But our forever home, therefore our ultimate citizenship, is in heaven. So while we're here, we the church, think of yourself, you are a colony of heavenly citizens. Your passport's final destination is stamped heaven, not earth. Not the United States even, or any other country. Outside of your legal passport you have here to travel. Because we moved. Colossians 1 tells us, our passport was altered the day you were saved. It says there, He, God the Father, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. That's what he's saying. In fact, that means from Christians all over the world are my new family and yours. Guess what? We're all adopted too. We're all adopted children. That's biblical. Right? And in Christians from all over the world are our family. So the church of Jesus Christ, get this, is truly Catholic. Oh, <laughs> pastor's gone off the deep end. No. Catholic merely means literally universal. We, if we are Christians, you're part of the holy Catholic church, meaning universal, all believers, brothers and sisters all around the world. That is the universal church that we're talking about. That is the nation state as it is that we refer to, that we are a part of. I think of it this way. You have brothers and sisters from Haiti to Havana to Africa. And get this, Russia, China, Oh, really? Yeah. Are there Christians there? Yes. They're your brothers and sisters. And guess what? You are closer to them than your unredeemed family and friends here. That's a mind blower. You have what the Greeks called koinonia fellowship. It is a family fellowship. Because you have the most important things in life in common, including your Savior, Jesus Christ. Do you know that? More importantly, do you care? 
Because we don't often think this way, do we? But it's true. The Apostle Peter addressed this in his first letter to what he called, get this, elect exiles. Elect is the church, those chosen to be saved. Exiles. It's like refugees. You're, you're all refugees here. Now, when we preached this book a few years back, we called the series, in effect, Strangers on Earth. Because that's what you are. First Peter 2, 9, beginning of verse 10. He writes, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. Here it is. A holy nation. Nation. A people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I love this, verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Mm. Our citizenship, folks, is real. And it's universal for anybody who is in Christ. Paul puts it this way in Ephesians 2, verse 19. You are no longer then strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Hebrews 11 and 12 goes on to say this citizenship is really has a physical nature to it. It's attached to a city. Remember, we looked at that this summer in our series on heaven. Revelation 21, verse 2. I saw the holy city, the Apostle John said, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. All the physical dimensions are there, remember? You go on to read Revelation 21, verses 10 to 23. You see walls, pearly gates, a river clear like glass, trees in which to eat outrageously good food on... There's just the ability to do incredible things. All of that, all of that is there. It's all in heaven, though. That's our home sweet home, as we call that series. Now, there are some will say we have a dual citizenship. Augustine's classic book, The City of God, talks about that. He said there's a city of God, there's a city of man, and these two kingdoms are in conflict with one another. By and large, yes, they are. But you have to live in them. Legally, most of you are American citizens, right? That's true. But this is how you have to look at it. Your citizenship here is temporary and secondary. Temporary and secondary to your citizenship in heaven, which is permanent or eternal and primary. You see. Now, does that mean you can't pledge allegiance to a flag at a ball game in this country? No, it doesn't mean that. You can have a secondary allegiance to this nation out of respect and affection for it. You can. That doesn't mean you worship the flag or its leaders, of course. We honor and respect our elected officials, first responders, military, law enforcement in this country. We should. That's a good thing to do. It's a biblical thing to do. However, as a Christian... Your primary and greatest allegiance is to King Jesus and his kingdom. Can I get an amen on that somewhere? Amen. Thank you. That's an amen kind of line, you think? Because that's the country, that's the city we're citizens of. In fact, I'm going to give you three reasons why I and you should not consider yourself a citizen of this world. Turn over to 1 John chapter 2, if you would, in your Bibles. 
You can make a note of it. It's a very familiar text, 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17. First reason I am not a citizen of the world is that the world does not love what we love. 1 John 2, 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. That does not need a lot of exposition or explanation. If you love the world, you don't love God. Now, somebody might say and listen to all this so far and go, well, why do we have to think about or focus on heaven so much now? I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm going to get there eventually anyway. I'm living and breathing here, right? Life's about living in the here and now, right? Not entirely. If your gaze and your focus is on this world primarily, it's going to be your priority. Not Christ. You're going to think about the immediate lusts of the flesh. Now, being satisfied temporarily. Not only that, you're going to lose your hope. Because when you suffer, it's going to be harder to get through it. What you're suffering. Grow from it if this world is all there is to look forward to. Right? But if your hope is in heaven and future glory, you're going to have something to shoot for, something to look forward to, something and someone to help you get through it. But if you love the world, meaning its system, you're going to, you can also lose assurance of your salvation. You want to know why? Because you're more likely to fall into sin, and you're going to look at your life, and you're going to say, am I even a follower of Christ? Look at, look at how I'm living. Look at how I'm talking. And, and, and people know the difference. You know, I sure don't walk and talk like a Christian. So doubt can creep in. So it's another reason not to love this world. Here's the second reason I'm not a citizen of the world. The world is in opposition to God in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes, the pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Lust of the eyes, the flesh, the pride of life, they don't come from God. It's from a kingdom that is in conflict with ours. A country in conflict with ours. When Pilate was interrogating Jesus just before he condemned him to the cross, he asked him, are you the king of the Jews? This would have been a really good opportunity for Jesus to take a political stance right here. What did the Lord answer in John 18? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I would, might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from this world. So, as a reminder now, to get this straight, the Lord Jesus there was referring to the earthly manifestation of his kingdom. That kingdom, that authority directly over the world from earth is not here yet. It's coming. He is ruling and reigning right now at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He ascended there after the resurrection. But when he comes back, his rule and reign will be over the entire earth. Amen? We got that? You're tracking with me? Third reason I'm not a citizen of the world. Because this world is dying. The world is dying, verse 17 of 1 John 2. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides or remains forever. And the verse we're in, verse 20 of Philippians 3, tells us we are awaiting a Savior, the Lord Jesus himself, to come from this city or kingdom that he has. 
Because the Savior ascended, and then he's coming back as a risen, coming again, Lord and Savior. Now, he's coming down from where again? The answer comes in the next verse of Philippians 3, and this is our promise. We're moving from our passport to our promise. Look back at Philippians 3.21. He's going to come, and he's going to transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject or bring under control all things to himself. That's a glorious truth, folks. Paul is talking about the second coming of Christ, the glorious return of King Jesus. That's the next big event on God's daytimer. That's what we're looking forward to. I think it's going to happen personally after a great time of tribulation on earth, and he's going to come and rule and reign over the earth for a thousand years before he brings the final consummation of this planet to its perfection. And you'll see what it looks like. That, that second coming is pictured in different ways. Acts 1.11, for instance, as Jesus is going up, ascending, the angels told the apostles, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And then in the familiar passage of 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. You've heard this. For the Lord himself, when he comes back, will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of a trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first, and then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together. Caught up, snatched up. That's where we get the idea of rapture from. Snatched up, it's a, it's a violent word almost, with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Amen. That is the event we are looking forward to, folks. This event is part of our hope of glory, hope of heaven. This is why we long for this. Paul's saying here, when this happens, you're going to be changed. You are going to be completely refashioned physically, is the idea of the Greek there. This happens at the final resurrection by the power. It's actually the word we get energy from that raised Jesus from the dead. Our bodies right now are in a currently in a weak or a humble state, the Bible says. I, I can say amen to that. But to one, it's going to be, Paul says, is literally majestic. Your body will be magnificent. That's what glorious means. I'll, I'll give you the language of how Paul put it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is the chapter about the resurrection. We get so much of our, our doctrine from there. 1 Corinthians 15, 43. Our bodies are sown, means they go into the ground like a seed, sown in dishonor. But it is raised, he's talking about the resurrection, in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. And then in verse 49, just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. It's the perfect body, never dies or decays. So this is the perfection of the resurrection that we get that Paul wanted so badly as we heard earlier in chapter 3. All right? This is the goal. This is the prize that we're running towards. In fact, according to 1 John 3, We've said this before. You're going to be like him when you see him when he comes again. 
And this, this should really excite you, folks. I'm trying to get you excited about your future home and your body because Paul was all jazzed up about this. Colossians 3, 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with Him in glory. Your body will be like Jesus. You know, Jesus transported through a wall. He moved like really quick distances, like in a millisecond. Y'all are going to be able to do that. I think it's pretty cool. I, I wouldn't mind being there like right now before we get out of this room. There we go. It's the same power that controls everything. The Old Testament language is everything is going to come under his feet when he comes back. That's that same power that's going to beat, defeat disease, death, and the devil. That's the power the Lord promises to raise us up with. So we're talking about now the final four-part history of the world, folks. You can summarize the history of this planet in four ways. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation. It's a good overarching narrative to have in your mind because if you have that in mind, it helps you make sense of the Bible as a whole. And after Jesus returns and reigns on the earth for a thousand years, God's going to do this extreme makeover of the planet. He's going to refashion it into the new heavens and earth. That is the consummation. That's the final act. That's the final chapter. That's what we're anxiously awaiting for. We're excited about should make your toes tap. This is Hebrews 11. says the great men and women of faith, they endured all the suffering they went through because it says there they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. They're talking country again. Citizenship. That was their hope. And it's ours as Christian citizens. So our hope is that we would be made free from this world. These shells, these bodies of ours that are decaying by the day. Is anybody here besides me sick and tired of being sick and tired? <laughs> That's a good one, isn't it? I like the way Paul wrote about this in Romans 8, verse 19. For the creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. You know, the world is still cursed. And just look around, it's not hard to figure. Including the environment itself. I mean, the world itself. And it, it's... It's in this language as if it was a human being with emotions. It's groaning. And then he goes on to say in verse 23, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, meaning we have the deposit of the Holy Spirit in us, and we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for what? Adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. We're eagerly awaiting for the resurrection. That's the promise, the hope of glory and heaven. And the hope of heaven, here's another bonus. It removes fear of people. Everyone knows, whether they admit it or not, there's life after death. Isn't it nice to know where you're going for like an eternity? I think that's good. So, Paul did. He wants to go home. What did Paul always say? To live is Christ, to die is gain profit good he said i i long to be with you here and then he said but far better to be with christ you know life can be good here it's good stuff here there's some good stuff here this is good this is good that's far better he got that right so having a new passport and a promise what are you going to do with that as a christian citizen 
How do we as citizens from the city of God, how do we live in the city of man? Even in our nation, where there's rules and laws that govern immigration, for uh, supposed to anyway, for exiles or pilgrims. And then you have the issue of assimilation. Meaning, how does the foreigner fit in? And that's a fair language. You try to speak the language, absorb the customs of the nation you're going to be a citizen in, right? When my parents uh, came from Cuba as that first generation of exiles, they made a decision for a new citizenship. They left behind communist Cuba. They came to the United States of America. And when I was born, way back when, they said, you are now an American. Live like it. Talk like it. Same idea for you as a Christian. That's your citizenship. Live like one. Talk like one. Don't assimilate in the customs of this world. Okay? Don't take on the sinful customs. I already gave you three reasons from Scripture why we should not be citizens of this world. So we're just kind of running to the finish line here. Applying this text of Philippians 3. And we're going to do it with the Apostle Peter. Again, I'm going back to 1 Peter chapter 2. Let me just read you verses 11 and 12. They're basically self-explanatory. This is Peter's take, again, as strangers on earth. He says, Beloved, I urge you, listen to the language, these two nouns, as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles, because he's talking to Jewish believers, in context. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds, and that will glorify God on the day of visitation. Sojourners and exiles. The New American Standard renders that as your aliens and strangers. If you have a New Living Translation, it says your temporary residents and foreigners. Do you get the language? Do you see who you are now? You're an exile. That is a person, literally, someone who comes from a foreign country into a city or a land to live beside the natives. We live alongside the natives, folks, but we don't belong to the natives. Okay? You don't live like you belong here. Hold on to this world loosely. Loosely. The world. The people you know and have relationships with that are unredeemed, they should know that you're not a citizen here. They should know that you don't belong completely. You ever get that from your family or friends already? You're kind of weird. You know, you're one of those Bible thumpers. Well, they're acknowledging your citizenship. You're a foreigner. You're a sojourner. I'm not saying go out of your way to do that. Don't hate on anybody. Don't isolate yourself like some medieval monk. We're not talking about that because we are to be in the world, just not of it. Of it means absorbing its values and customs, assimilating to its way of thinking, its philosophy, its worldview, as we talked about last time. They should know your passport changed. You don't belong here. It means you strive First Peter says to live lives that are honorable. That means literally excellent or truthful. Listen, if we're going to witness to lost people around us with any sense of credibility, Peter's saying live lives of integrity, not like a hypocrite that say one thing and do another. 
the unbelievers in this world pick up on that. There's now this group of people, unchristians. They've come out of the church. And the number one reason that they cite, and many of them are just, this is what they think and say. They say there's all this hypocrisy going on in the church. I mean, we talk about showing and sharing Christ, right? Well, think about it. We're like a plane that flies with two wings of evangelism. And the two wings, or disciple-making here, are conduct, conduct, and conversation. A plane has to have two wings. If it loses one, it's not good. It's going down. You need two. Well, in the Christian citizenship, you can't have character. You should not have character without conversation because people need to hear the word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of Christ. That's how you get saved. But you can't talk the talk without walking the walk because that's what gives credibility to your talk. Does that make sense? So our good works have to match our good deeds. I read somewhere years ago, a skeptic said, I really can't tell what a Christian believes today because he doesn't seem much different than other people I know. The only exception would be Mormons because they really seem to take their beliefs seriously. That's pretty tragic, don't you think? That comment? So we say yes to Christ our King and His kingdom. No to the world and its kingdom. And that means it's stuff. That means you can't assimilate and absorb and make your passion this world's media, music, sex outside of marriage, pride, prosperity. None of that stuff from here can be your number one thing. We say no to all that because we have a better yes in the future. So I close with a comment from C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, that great book. He said, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's good. That's right on a money. That's the idea of Christian citizenship. We talked about the promised land of Israel. The promised land the city on a hill, the United States of America. Those are nations from this world that held and hold a degree of promise. But the promised land that gets me most excited is not here as a Christian citizen. It is the one that is described in Revelation chapter 21 where John said, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place where the home of God is is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And it's there where it says, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Hallelujah, right? And then chapter 22, verse 5. And night will be no more. They, its citizens, will need no light, no light, no lamp, nor sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Is there anyone in their right mind that doesn't want to be in this place? Call heaven. If, if you're a Christian, and you don't want to go to heaven, ding dong, red flag, something's wrong. you got to check yourself. Something's up. You've got to know who you are, and where you're going. 
Christ Community Church is a God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, and Bible-centered body of believers who love God and love people by making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information on us and to learn how to give towards our media ministry, please go to our website at www.christcomchurch.org. That's christcomchurch.com.org. And look for the Giving tab at the top of the homepage. 